This morning, theme is freed up. Freed up. The series, Oh Church Arise. And we've all been there. I was telling the early service that it was my mom probably with that big briefcase size shoulder VHS recorder that she got all the videos of the young Ferris boys. And she said, oh, I'm, t- I'm out of tape. I'm out of tape or I'm out of space on my phone. Here's a principle I want to share with you this morning to begin. In order to free up more of anything or anyone we almost always will need to remove or reduce something or someone. Even John the Baptist knew this. John the Baptist was the forerunner, the precursor of the Messiah. He was prophesied in the Old Testament that he would come and prepare The world for Jesus. And as Jesus was not yet publicly doing his ministry, John was. And John had crowds. The leaders were terrified of John. They wanted to take him out and kill him, but they were afraid there would be an uprising against them. So as John has prominence as the leading prophet of the people of Israel. Listen, they had not seen someone like John since Elisha and Elijah. It was incredibly exciting for Israel. And as John saw Jesus and John baptized Jesus, and in that moment the baton of the ministry was passed. In fact, John's disciples come to him in John chapter 3 and they're talking about all the people who were going out and carrying on about Jesus. And what does John say to them? John says in John 3.30, He must increase, I must decrease. You see, John realized in order for the world to know and see Jesus on center stage, that he had to disappear. He had to remove himself And free up the nation of Israel for the Messiah to come and lead and reign. Here's a key question this morning for us. And if you have a bulletin inside, there is uh, an insert that will have uh, the sermon notes. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 4. That's where we'll be. The theme is freed up. But here's a key question. What needs to take place in our lives to free up space for more of Jesus? That's the question. What needs to take place in your life and in my life in order to free up space for more of Jesus? Here's the first point of the sermon. Jesus came to set the captives free. He came to set the captives free. Look at Luke 4, starting in verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. 
And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Talk about a coming out sermon for Jesus. If there had been a microphone there, there had been a mic drop. I'm convinced. I mean, I mean who, can, who else could do this? Who else could go to Isaiah 61, find that spot, read those verses verbatim to a crowd of Hebrews... Have the attendant take the scroll, then to sit. Because in, in their culture, you sat down to teach. He sat down to teach them. They're all looking at Jesus. He says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus says, I have come to set the captives free. John got the, ray, the way ready, but now... I'm here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I'm here to set the captives free. So I've got three sub points for this first point. Now, what's a sub point? That's just a sneaky way for a preacher to have lots of points in his sermons, all right? I was emailing our music ministry assistant who kind of loads everything into our software for projection. I said, it's really a 10 point sermon this morning. Um, first sub point. So Jesus came to set the captives free. In order to be set free, we must believe that Jesus can set us free. All throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, men and women come to Jesus saying, Lord, save me. Lord, heal me. Lord, my daughter is sick If you'll just say the word, she'll be well. They come to Jesus in captivity to demon possession, to sickness, and asking him to set them free. They believed that Jesus could set them free. That's why they came to him and asked for him to do that. But this is not what we find in his hometown of Nazareth. I stopped reading in verse 21. But if you keep reading in Luke 4, they begin to ask a question there in Nazareth in the synagogue. Isn't this Joseph's son? And Jesus says, a prophet's not welcome in his home city or country. And then Jesus tells them two stories from the history of Israel just to remind them of how radical God's grace is. Jesus says, you know, there were lots of widows who lived in Israel. There were a lot of Israelite widows who no doubt 
would have opened their homes up to Elijah the prophet to house him. But Elijah didn't go to any of them. He went to the widow in Zarephath and Sidon, which is basically outside of the nation of Israel. And then he said, there are lots of lepers in Israel who needed cleansing, but Elisha didn't cleanse them. It was Naaman the Syrian. So after everyone was marveled by his prophetic rendering of Isaiah 61, Jesus had a way to make the crowd get angry. The story says they took him up to the top of the hill. They wanted to throw him off a cliff and kill him. How dare Jesus imply that God's grace could go outside of the nation of Israel? You see, they didn't believe. Matthew 13, 58, speaking of Nazareth. That's where he was in Matthew 13. And Jesus did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. I'm at Jesus, limited. Jesus, the same one who could just speak the word and the person is healed, could not, chose not to, would not heal or do mighty works because of their unbelief. It's the trust and belief in Jesus that unlocks his power, that sets us free. So we've got to believe that Jesus can set us free. Second sub-point, in order to be set free, we must believe that we need to be set free. We must believe that we need to be set free. Look at verse 18 again of Luke 4. This is the key verse, the the prophecy from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So Jesus came to the poor, to the blind, to the oppressed, to the captive, to set them free. And all those people that Jesus came to, they were so glad that he came to them because they knew and they believed that they needed to be set free. We must believe that Jesus can set us free and we must believe that we need to be set free or we'll never be set free. Now, Mark chapter 2, Jesus receives some criticism, starting in verse 16. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Here's the issue for us. Two things can happen as we walk with God as a Christian. We can be as if my as my mentor in ministry was who would often say 
the more that I spend time with God and read his word, I have a lot of more questions and answers and I realize just how sinful I really am and how much, how good God's grace is. My mentors would say that the more you get to know God, you realize how wonderfully gracious and good he is. It's like Steve was growing in his own recognition of his own deceitful, sinful heart. But another thing can happen to us. And that's when we get in the motions of going to church, going to Sunday school, doing all the Christian things we're supposed to do. And we lose that sense of we really need someone to set us free all the time. And that's a dangerous place to be. To not think that you really need to be set free. To think, oh, I'm okay, Jesus. I'm saved. I'm washed in your blood. I'll be fine. Thank you for saving me. Now let me go on my day and live my life. I've been to church. Let me just go do my thing. We need to be saved, set free. Every day. Jeremiah 17.9 counters the idea of our society that everybody's good. Everybody's a good person. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I can just imagine both the Hebrew Christians and even the Hebrew seekers who who were interested in learning about Jesus... Reading through the first two chapters of Romans, being like, yeah, Paul, let them have it, Paul, those Gentiles, let them have it. Idolatry, spiraling downward, their God is their belly. Yeah, let them have it, Paul, they're so wicked. Yet you come to chapter 3, verse 9 of Romans, Paul says, what then? It's as if Paul is anticipating their thoughts. He's so good at that. He said, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And if any good that we do is by the grace of God. That's Paul's point. We are inherently, by nature and by choice, rebellious sinners. This morning, in the early service, I had my gray suit on. And I had a tie that I got from my family for Father's Day. And I should have worn it in this service. It wouldn't match this, but Dennis Montgomery would love it because he's a Star Wars nut like I am. Um, but if you look real close, it had the, the um, emblem of the rebellion. That's from Star Wars, okay? There's the empire, they're the bad guys. The rebellion are the good guys. And there's a reason why I wore that tie. It matched my suit really well. That's one reason. But the bigger reason was that I wanted <laughs> symbolically to say, I'm a rebel. And it's not a good thing. I'm sinful. My flesh, there's a battle in my flesh. Paul is so clear about that in Romans chapter 7. He says, I can't do the things that I want to do. And the things that I end up doing are the things that 
I know I shouldn't do. Who will set me free? Who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So in order to be set free, third sub-point, we must allow Jesus to set us free. He can set us free. We've got to believe that. We've got to believe that we are blind, wretched, needy, poor, in need of his grace and love and mercy. And then we've got to allow him to set us free. John 8, 36. So if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Not maybe. Indeed, you will be free if he sets you free. Romans 8. I just mentioned Romans 7. Paul says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free. No, sorry, Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that is such good, good news. That if we're in Christ, we're not condemned. Jesus was condemned on the cross so that we don't have to be condemned by God for eternity. Because of our willful, sinful rebellion, we deserve that. Yet Jesus took our place and there's no condemnation for us. Then Paul really describes it a little bit more in in verse 2. He says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. In his ministry, Jesus was dealing with people. He came to seek and save those who were lost, those who knew they were lost, who knew they needed a Savior. Jesus came to them, and in their lives, the spirit of life was taking place, and they were being saved by Jesus. But he was also dealing with a completely different element of people, a group of people who were operating... By the law of sin and death. Even though they thought they were righteous. They knew the Old Testament. They had their system of church, you could call it. And it was working really well for those leaders. And they were respected by the people. Yet Jesus over and over and over says to them, You brood of vipers. Woe to you. He has harsh criticism for those who are operating by the law of sin and death. John 8, 32. Jesus says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What is the truth? It's the truth of God's word. Who is the truth? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. It's knowing Jesus through his word that we are set free by him. Amen? It's by the word. Second point. Okay, that's really your fifth point. Just be honest with us. All right. Second point. Jesus set us free as Christians for us to live in freedom. Pastor, can't you go deep with us? My mentor taught me to keep all the cookies on the bottom shelf. All right? That's where you can grab them and eat them. I'm just trying to be biblical. Look at Galatians 5.1. Paul says, For freedom Christ has set us free. 
Stand firm, therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What is he talking about? Well, the book of Galatians, I got a text message from a guy in the early service after the sermon. He said, Galatians is our declaration of independence as Christians. (laughs) Awesome text. In the book of Galatians, Paul was addressing head-on legalism in the church. Can you imagine? There was legalism in the church. Paul had to address it because you had these Gentile, non-Jewish believers who were part of God's church, yet these Jewish Christians were trying to make these Gentile men get circumcised to become part of the church. Paul says, no way. Paul calls Peter out. He calls the Galatians out. He says, if anybody comes to you with a different gospel than what I came to you, let that person be accursed. Paul says, it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus only. That's the only justification. It's your only salvation. It's your only righteousness. It's Jesus. You are free, Galatians. Gentile Christian Galatians, you don't have to get circumcised. And all the men said, amen to that one. All right. All right. Galatians 5, that's a joke, 513. All right. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So we're set free for freedom, and then we're called to freedom But Paul says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for your sin nature to be selfish. But serve one another. Number three, the Holy Spirit dwelling within our hearts and within our church enables us to live in freedom. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So according to that verse, where is freedom found? I want to hear an answer. Where is it found? Where the Spirit of the Lord is. Okay. So when you become a follower of Jesus and are saved or born again, converted whatever terminology you want to use, when you are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. Therefore, pick on little J.R. sitting beside my son Carson. So J.R., when he gets, if he's a believer, the Holy Spirit lives in J.R.'s heart and there's freedom inside of him. If that's the case, why is it That so many Christians who know they're saved by the grace of God, who've been born again, who have the hope of heaven, eternal life forever, are walking around not living in freedom. Why is it? Why did Paul even have to write Galatians to the church, to us? Because our hearts do two things. John Calvin says the heart is an idol-making factory. We want to worship and give glory and honor to, to the other gods in our lives. And our hearts also, some of us more than others maybe, we're all kind of closet legalists. I've had a good week, God. 
prayed several times, read my Bible a few times. Coming to you now, needing this prayer answered, God. So, God, I'm trying to be a good Christian. Just need you to do this for me, God. <laughs> that's not praying in the name of Jesus. That's praying in your own name. It's so subtle. We think if I do X, Y, and Z, I'm going to get blessed by God. And that's works-based stuff. The Bible says that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, that God loves us. When you were caught in the sin, when you had the worst thoughts possible, when I was far from God, all these times in our lives, that's when God loves us. That's the mercy and grace of God. And when you get set free from idolatry and set free from legalism and set free from sin having a reign in your life, then you can have freedom through the power of the Holy Spirit. Number four, sin against the Holy Spirit is a trade of freedom for bondage. A trade of freedom for bondage. Everybody's talking about NBA basketball now that the season's over with. Who's LeBron James going to play for now? Is he going to stay with the Cavs or... He's a free agent, so it's not really, I guess, a trade. But all this talk about who's going to get traded to whatever team. When you and I sin against God, the Holy Spirit, we trade the freedom that he gives us for bondage. Look at Ephesians 4.30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Paul says, don't grieve the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Do not quench the Spirit. Romans 6, 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So in your mind, think about a throne. <laughs> so before the early service, I had a guy walk up to me and say, you know, I was watching Prince William on television. You look like Prince William, Cade. I'm like, okay. So that's pretty cool. You know, he's royal or whatever, but the, the king sits on a throne. Paul says, don't let sin sit on the throne of your life and take reign to make you obey its passions. In other words, when the Spirit is no longer on the throne, when Jesus is not master and your own sin is master, you start obeying that sin. And you and I become slaves to it, even as Christians. Number five, to live in the freedom Jesus has given us, we are to present ourselves and surrender ourselves to the Lord. Turn to Romans chapter 6. Everybody that's going to be working with Lord's Supper, take your places, all right? So, all right, Romans 6. I'm going to read several verses from Romans 6. I read verse 12 about letting sin reign. Don't let that happen, Paul says, or then you'll obey You'll be enslaved in bondage to it. Look at verse 13. Do not present your members. What's that? That means your body, all that you are. To sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. 
Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, listen to this, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of the teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members to slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. And then the famous verse from the Romans road, Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Here is the irony of this chapter. True freedom is actually found in absolute surrender. We think of freedom, there's no shackles. I am free, I can do whatever I want. I'm free. The Bible says real freedom in Christ is what Romans 6, 22 says. Now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it's in eternal life. This morning as we come to the Lord's table together to take the Lord's Supper, in your mind and heart, I want you to think about surrender. We are not free when we are living in willful Rebellion against God. There's a reason why God, the Holy Spirit, is called the Holy Spirit. He's not just the Spirit. He's the Holy Spirit. So if we're being unholy in our thoughts, in our actions, letting sin reign on the throne of our hearts, obeying that sin, then we're not a vessel that the Holy Spirit is going to bless with freedom and love and joy and peace. I'm not talking about being saved. I'm talking about having a victorious, spirit-filled, freedom kind of Christian life.